Um, I guess a quick note back to your original question, you know, a few years ago, about, uh, yeah, over three years ago, we moved, my family and I moved out of, uh, out of New York city, um, where we lived yeah. for almost 15 years back to Connecticut. Um, I always thought FDNY, uh, was sort of like just a different breed of people. I just had, you know, always had a tremendous amount of respect for first responders. And, uh, and I think for me, it was, uh, our, our town is a hundred percent volunteer firefighter, uh, uh, organization. A lot of the, the United States, actually over 70% of the fire services is, uh, is all volunteer. And so it was just something that I've thought about doing for a very long time. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, decided to do so it's something that, you know, it's like family play and then nights or weekends. Uh, if I have time, uh, if there are calls, I, I will respond to calls. So it uses a very different part of my brain, uh, you know, uh, and, and yeah. it keeps me keeps me sharp. Yarek, Aisha, Barrett, two episodes every week. Beancast, product innovation and UX design podcast. Hi everyone! It's another episode of Leancast. It's a new background because I'm. It's going to be most likely the only episode I'm recording from home because of my personal circumstances. I'm here with someone really interesting, Dan Lachivita. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. He is the co-founder and co-CEO of Play, a very fascinating app in my opinion. I bumped into the app on Twitter sphere and suddenly i had this urge of talking to anyone behind this and by some i wouldn't call it miracle um some reach out to me and say hey do you want to talk to dan founder of play and i said yes let's make this happen so dan was gracious enough to come on the podcast and i'm here with him for a good 60 minutes and love to get to know his background, how he ended up with play and what play is about. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm, I'm great, man. Thanks for, uh, for having me here. Really excited to be here and, uh, and have a great conversation with you today. Thank you again. My pleasure. Dan, I, before we get into play, I really want to make sense of your career path. How did you go from volunteering as a firefighter to co-founding an app that allows to design for mobile products natively on iOS? Um, so I could talk a little bit about the volunteer uh, firefighting piece uh, in, in a, in a moment, it's something that I still, that I still do, uh, for, for our town. Um, so I could, I could talk about that in, in a moment, but, um, I, so the way that, you know, I came to play myself and my other three co-founders, we've been working with one another for mm -hmm. over 15 years now, um, together. So, uh, Michael, June and Eric, and myself, we worked together, uh, at a, design and technology agency called Firstborn mm. that Michael founded. Um, and so that's where we all met one another. Uh, and we, we, along with a lot of other really talented people, we grew that business. Uh, we grew that agency. 
we sold that business now almost probably 11 years ago. Um, and so after Firstborn, which was the name of the agency, um, June, uh, one of my uh, partners, had this idea for for play and looking at kind of the landscape of design tools uh we just felt that he felt that there was a lot of focus on these general purpose design tools and what if we created a design tool that was more catered for mobile product design for designing for the phone mm-hmm. and so that was mm-hmm. the um that was the kernel of the idea in June's mind and then he uh he kind of convinced the rest of us to uh you know, to, to, to start play. And that's how, that's how play was born. Um, I guess a quick note back to your original question, uh, you know, a few years ago, about, uh, yeah, over three years ago, we moved, my family and I moved out of, uh, out of New York city, um, where we lived yeah. for almost 15 years back to Connecticut. Um, I always thought FDNY, uh, was sort of like just a different breed of people. I just had, you know, always had a tremendous amount of respect for first responders. And, uh, and I think for me, it was, uh, our, our town is a hundred percent volunteer firefighter, uh, uh, organization. A lot of the, the United States, actually over 70% of fire services is, uh, is all volunteer. And so, it was just something that I've thought about doing for a very long time and, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, decided to do. So it's something that, you know, it's like family play and then nights or weekends. Uh, if I have time, uh, if there are calls, I, I will respond to calls. So it uses a very different part of my brain, uh, you know, uh, and, and yeah. it keeps me, keeps me sharp and I think makes me better at my job in many ways because it's a very different thing. So. As you know, I've seen a lot of folks on LinkedIn. There is, there is, there is no, you know, rebuke here at all that they put servant leader on their title, and it's a very catchy, cool title. You have it there, and I was curious about how do you mean by servant leader? But this is truly a practical example of what a servant leader could do is to be volunteering as a firefighter for their like community. Yeah, I th- I agree. I think the the. Uh... It's it's a sort of maybe um and I thought a lot about it many years ago when I put it there, but I think um without getting too uh, maybe or maybe you know philosophical, I think like for me um you know work is really important because I love what we're yeah. building. Um, yeah. My family is really important, obviously. You know, I'm a, I'm a father. I have with my wife. We have two two great uh, boys. Um, God bless you. But service i think we're all called to serve one another in in, yeah. in any way we can i think that's i think that's one of the reasons why we are here and all of us can do that in different ways little ways every day or you know or 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 bigger ways uh, i think some people are you know called to service and they just feel a calling to do something with their life um i, I wouldn't say that i maybe have that but this yeah for me it's um i love the volunteer aspect of it i i you know i love you know, I think like a lot of people that, that do this, just love being able to interact with our, you know, our community and serve our community and, um, try to do something that isn't about you and you're just doing it for yeah. other people, you know? And so I think it's a big, it's a big part of, you know, um, yeah, it's a big part of my life. And I think an important part. Can you, you mentioned that it activates another part of your brain. I don't know if you have you know, t- enough time to think about that and, are able to verbalize that 
what is it that that it activates in your brain like how how do you feel differently when you are when you are um contributing to your community yeah i think it's um <clears throat> there is so i i'm i'm a new guy right uh i've only been doing this for a couple of years and so i and i have no former you know military or fire service or not nothing at all right and which was just as a side note something that was actually like it also drew me to this because nobody when i first started doing this nobody there cared about anything else that i did in my life that maybe other people would be like oh like you 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 helped build this company and you sold it and maybe that's successful they don't care about any of that none of that matters anything that i do in my professional life is completely irrelevant in many ways to 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 my team members they just want me to be a capable teammate so when we get a call whether it's a fire or a car accident that i am able to do my job however small or big it is that day so there's an element of it it's very very humbling you know um coming in being for over 40 years old and for a long time doing things and you're kind of, you know, you're building a company and you're and then to start at literally the, like the ground floor, like cleaning the floors in the firehouse. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, and we still all do that. It's a part of the job. Everyone needs to pitch in, but um, it, it, when, when there is an incident, mm -hmm. there needs to be a very quick assessment about, Mm -hmm. what what is happening whether it's again a, a car accident a fire whatever that is and usually this is a a senior officer right but they need to assess the situation very quickly come up with a very quick plan of action identify risks identify any safety hazards and then we need to execute the plan pretty quickly because sometimes mm -hmm. in people's safety so for me it activates that part of my brain when i am like in our day-to-day, -day, in our business life, professional life, there's so many problems coming at us. It That part of my brain that's activated when we're maybe on the fire ground, I go back to that and I say, okay, we have all, I have all of this stuff. What is actually important and critical right now? What can I control? And then how do I use that information to make high quality decisions? Now for play, no one's life is really on the line, right? Um, so it's 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 easier, but it 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 really is a good for me. It's been a very good um, kind of teaching mechanism that I've been mm. able to bring into my 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 professional life. Basically, what you are doing at play because you're going through the same process too: prioritization, exploration, discovery, prioritization. You have to do it. You have to go through the same process in completely different environment. And the caveat here is there is a life and death here when you are contributing as a firefighter for your community. Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting because it's the same uh, like core principles applied right. in very different ways, right? Mm. Um, but it ultimately, it's about problem solving, right? Yeah. Um, and being able to prioritize and then execute, you know, on a plan. And I like the aspect of it that you mentioned, the subliminal one, is that you built up a very, like, you achieved a successful character in this category, being a sort of like a tech entrepreneur. You built a successful company, sold it. Hey, here's my ego. Here's my shiny character. When you come into this one, you have to put all of it aside, and you're sort of like, Oh wow! I'm Dan 
without all those things that I have achieved in the past some years. Yeah. And I, I, I would say, um, I think for, that was, I was looking for that, I think in a way, um, mm. I, I think like it's certain, maybe, maybe it's different for certain people, but I think like humbling experiences help level set and maybe ground you in a way where, um, you know, achievements don't, I think a lot of t- achievements are great, but uh, you know, a lot of times they're not that they're hollow, but they are fleeting. You know, I mean, no matter like whatever it is that you achieve in, in many ways from a business standpoint, it, it could be fleeting, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so looking for those moments where you can be humbled, uh, I think are important, you know, uh, in, in, in people's lives. And so I, it was, it was, it was something that I think was good, was good for me, mm-hmm. um, and kind of starting, you know, learning new skills, learning very different skills, you know, um, very different, uh, very different types of skills. And, and it, it, when, when I think when you're forced to learn new things, you become a better, uh, learner for other things. Right. You know, like when, when you achieve a certain degree of like success in certain areas of your life, I think sometimes it's easy to think that you may you you become more closed minded to maybe different points yes. of view. So then, when you're in this, I, now I'm learning about you know, you know, hose lines and gallons per minute and how to use you know chainsaws and all, all this other kind of stuff. It's it, it like I think it actually changes your brain in a way where I now I become more open to learning things in my my professional life, my business life. So. A hundred percent. So inspiring what you said. It helps you not to repeat yourself. Yeah, exactly. Wow. wow. Because like a lot of entrepreneurs, Achilles heels is that when they achieve certain level of success, they're, they become a bit risk averse or they want the, the next move to be as successful as the previous moves. So, um, and that's sort of like, block them from seeing a wider range of opportunities, some of which might be a lot riskier, but might, of course, yield more exceptional results as well. Exactly. I agree. Firstborn, uh, Dan, so walk me through it. You've been working on it for a long time. So what was, how did you, what did you guys do? Like, what was your activities there? Um, and, uh, yeah, just like walk me through, like, sort of like your, I just want to get a feel for, so you characterize yourself as an entrepreneur, but you're building something really specific for designers. So in, when you were working at Firstborn, what were you doing on a day to day or over like your areas of activities? Yeah. So, uh, so at Firstborn, so Michael, uh, one of our, the four co-founders uh, of Play uh, started Firstborn in 1997. Um, I, wow. jo- I joined in uh, early 2000. I think it was 2004 that I joined. Uh, I was in my early 20s. Uh, I, j- I started as a Flash developer. So for those of your, your, your listeners that are old enough to remember the, uh, the good old Flash days. Um, so I started as a Flash developer. June. Um, one of my other uh, co-founders uh, started right after I did um, at, at Firstborn. 
And June is one of the most talented people that I've, 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 I've ever had the pleasure of working with. He's a designer, mm -hmm. he's an engineer. Um, and I realized after working with June for a very short period of time that I was not a very good developer at all. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, and, and there was a, I always tell this story, kind of a short, funny story, but one time, you know, I was outside with June, we became friends very quickly. We were working on projects together and maybe it was six months. We were outside and June said to me in a very nice way, he's like, you know, Dan, I think you would be a great project manager, you know? And mm -hmm. that was his way of saying like, you're not that good of a developer, but you, but I, but you could be really good with this other stuff. You know, you're good with people and, and this. Other. So, but he was right, you know. And so I, 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 I asked Michael. I said, "Hey, can I be a producer?" And he was like, "Yeah, well, yeah. I need you to go and code a little bit, and we'll talk about it in the year." And a year later, you know, uh, to his word. So my, I, you know, June ultimately uh, became our chief creative officer at at at, at Firstborn. Um, after I became the president of the company, after we sold the business, um, Michael left after four years, and then I became the CEO. So yeah, my my sort of role there. I started as a developer, but then I became you know sort of a producer, project manager, and started to work on business development. And I just you know along with other really talented people, we were able to build something I think together and kind of get uncomfortable and learn new things. We didn't know how to do a lot of this stuff. It was the first time we were like, how do we do this? And we sort of you, know, you look around a room and they're like, well no, we don't no one knows how to do this. Let's just figure it out. And you make mistakes, you make a lot of them and you try to learn right. and uh you end up kind of, you know, hopefully building something special. You know, the role of a producer is so I don't call it, I don't want to call it undervalued, but we often neglect the crucial part of the producer, like a, in a, any creative endeavor, right? I've been running Bonanza Design Dance for the past three years. So I started as a designer. I was so hands-on in prototyping, designing, branding. And the more, um, you know, the the company grew and I sort of like, shift like my role got shifted from being a designer or being hands-on to being becoming a producer and it's been a while that i've been producing what our team trying to sort of like create and design and test and um i wasn't i was very uncomfortable early on to be a producer mm. But the more I'm doing it, the more I feel like, wow, this has, this is such a endless, this, this, this role has such an endless depth to it. The, the more different project that we are working on and that requires different way of producing them, and it sort of like goes along with the your title as well as a, being a servant leader. As a producer, you got to be able to really care about the outcome, and and that's my understanding of it. I just want to like get your take on who is a producer. What is what what do you mean? What do you mean when you say I was a producer? Yeah, it's a great. I agree with you 100% on the service piece of it because I think it ultimately you're you need to serve. I mean, in agency, right? Where 
you know, agencies are service businesses at the end of the day, right? And so you've got to serve your clients, your customers, because they're, they're paying you. But you also, as a producer, you also need to serve the team. And so mm. I think for, for us, a producer was, uh, you know, a project manager, but, uh, and in many ways, like an, early on, like also an account executive. So you had, you know, the, the, the creative and the development team here, you had the client here. So you had the people making the work and the people getting the work. Mm-hmm. So for us, an exceptional producer would be, I, I would like to think of it as like, they're the glue and they're the bridge. Right. So like a lot of times the, the, the producer, good ones can be like the glue that kind of just keeps things together, you know, um, from a communications perspective, making sure that everybody is on the same page. Like, do we know what we're building? Do we know what we need to do this week? But also it's all about building bridges, right? It is mm-hmm. making sure that like the client wants to feel like they have somebody inside of the agency who's advocating for them, right? Mm -hmm. Giving their feedback and making sure that they're listening. So in that ways, I think great producers are good listeners, but also they need to be advocates for the team. You know, they need Mm -hmm. to serve the team, like your design team, creative team, engineering team, I think really needs to believe that a producer, number one, understands the craft behind how the work is getting made. Whatever it is, whether you're making a website, a film, what if you're just a project manager and you never had any like real street cred, like being a former uh-huh. designer or an engineer, I think it's very it's more difficult, right? Especially in a smaller boutique creative agency. It's, it's sort of like, man, like get your schedules out of my face. Let me just do my work. All right. And so I think as a producer, you need to be able to understand how things are made. Uh, mm-hmm. or have been a former maker yourself. Like for me, I was a former developer. I maybe wasn't that great of a developer, but I think that helped me a little bit, give me a little bit of credit. Like, okay, well, at least Dan used to be a developer. He maybe understands where we're coming from with this. And so, yeah, ultimately, I think the producer is the person that sets the team up for success in order for them to play to their strengths and deliver exceptional work and kind of gets out of the way, you know, in many ways, it's, it's almost when it's working well, it's almost like it's an invisible force and the team feels like they're just working in their own world with almost no one like touching them. Uh, that's, I think probably like the most successful feeling for a team. So hundred percent. Like I think, Delivering exceptional work is the underscore here. You've seen it. I've seen it. Movies that they got really good characters in there, good storyline, but the produce, the, the, the production of it, the, the final outcome, what you're seeing is you're looking at it and, and you realize this could have been made much better. Like you could see that the shortcoming, uh, the, the 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 shortcomings of of the movie, like you know, in which area, area, like when you're watching it and you realize, ah, oh, here they could have done it better, or like the overall feeling of it. I think that's the role of a pro- producer. And to reflect on what you've said, is that being having a street credit and knowing the crafts on a really deep level is crucial for a producer because 
you know, basically the way I see it is like my job is to go into the meetings with my team and and basically with my trained eyes look at their work and give them tips that could they could use to deliver that exceptional work. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So from so I want to get into the play. I think that's that's the exciting part. I would love to understand sort of like a timeline of it. So when you sold the company, that, 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 how did you end up with the idea of play? What did you see? Let me ask you a question. What did you see? What was the market gap you identified that you were like, okay, there is something here we can build? Yeah, so I think um, it was you know June who had this idea when I think a couple of different things, you right. know, when we would be designing mobile apps specifically, and this is back in the day we were using Sketch and then early, you know, pretty early adopters of Figma, uh, great tools. Like we still use Figma for certain things, you know, at play, although we're starting to use play to design play more, which is kind of a cool moment. Um, but I think one of the things that we realize is when looking at the market, right, and of design software as a whole, I think largely what Figma was able to do exceptionally well, the problem that they were able to solve was focused around how designers work. If you think about the world before Figma, we were using Sketch and using tools like Abstract for version control, like literally sending files back and forth yeah. to one another, right? Dropbox yeah. and yeah. underscore final, 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 like the, the, all this craziness, right? And so what Figma, I think, ultimately solved for really well was how designers work, how product teams work, right? Real-time collaboration, transparency across you know the the entire organization, not just the product team. No more files, right? Everything is in the cloud. And they did an exceptional job of that. And I think for us, when we started to think about, well, what's next for design software specifically? Because all of that is table stakes now, right? No one's going to build a tool, I think, where we're like emailing design files back and forth anymore, right? So everything that they did, all those advancements, that's now table stakes. Every, every piece of design software needs to have that, I think, built in from the get-go. So the question is, well, what's the next big problem that needs to be solved? And I think when we thought about it, and this is the cornerstone really of what we're building is the next frontier, the next problem is solving for what designers make. Because up to this point, if you think about it, our design software hasn't truly considered the medium we're designing for and the materials of that medium, right? So again, mm. when we think about traditional general purpose design tools, whether it's Figma, Sketch, Adobe XD, again, exceptional tools for what they do. They are vector drawing tools, right? All of them. That, mm. is, that is what they are. And, in, in, and therein lies their, their strength. I think one of the, it's, I sort of tell this, sto this story, but it's true. It's like my wife can use Figma to design an invitation for our kid's birthday party. And it is a designer at Airbnb is going to use the same tool to design an app that is going to generate hundreds of millions of dollars in ARR, right? And so that's sort of cool in some ways, but also in other ways, you'd think about, well, the tool isn't really considering the medium I'm designing for, which is in our case, let's say the device or the materials of that medium. 
It's like mm. if you were an, an architect and you were using software to design a building, right, or more specifically, maybe an engineer, you need to consider the materials of the building, right, for different load bearing and all of this other stuff, right? And so, you know, apps aren't solely built with just vector drawings, right? So at some that was that was the beginning of the gap. And so June's core idea was like, well, what if we actually started with the medium that we're designing for, which in our case, we're like, well, let's think about the phone. And we used that as the input device. What if you can design on your phone for the phone? You'd be able to experience your design in real time. And then Absolutely. we can tap into the iOS framework and give designers the ability to create with what we like to call the real materials of that operating system. So all of the native things that an engineer gets to use in code, we're going to be able to surface all that up and allow a designer to use that when they're designing. Not only that, they can now create these prototypes using that are going to be rendered with the same exact technology as a real app. I think that was one of the pain points that we always had when we were doing prototyping, especially for native apps. They just never, they never feel right. And even now, they just never feel right because we're using web technologies to sort of simulate what a native gesture, a native pan gesture feels like or a native modal, right? Or a drawer. And they never feel the right way. So what we want to do is give designers the ability to tap into that native sort of system and use those materials when designing their app. That's lovely. That's beautiful. So basically, it's built on top of the Xcode, right? Can you push the Xcode too? So right now, so we launched um, Play for iOS and iPad that's currently in the App Store. And we're currently right. developing our desktop product, Mac OS. So the, wow. the, the desktop product is going to, it's going to feel like you're working, let's say, inside of a Figma or a Sketch, except uh, I think plus, plus one. So inside of the desktop product, we have a uh a a code i'll call it i'll use air quotes export window but what we're doing is as you're designing we're generating swift ui code in real time so as you're changing oh, wow. your design the the swift ui code and we'll do it for a ui kit as well but we're we're starting with swift ui first so as you're designing we're generating swift ui code dynamically in real time and the idea here is an engineer can use this code in a number of different ways. And, and we're early right. on in this. So we're, we're, we're getting feedback from engineers. Like, how do we change this? How do we adapt it? Um, anyone listening that wants to try this, you know, feel free to reach out to me as well. Um, they could use the code as a reference point, which some engineers are, are doing. And, and they could look at the designs, but now they can look at the code and say, well, this is actually cool because I can use all of this as a reference point for how I'm going to code this. Or, especially I think we're seeing value in earlier stage companies where maybe they're designing their first app. The way that we're generating the Swift UI code is you can copy that Swift UI code, paste it into Xcode, and it's going to render the exact same view in Xcode. And I think what we're so what we're trying to do there is, you know, designers spend months and months working in a Figma file. They then they have to annotate it, right? And then an engineer looks at it and spends weeks, maybe longer, writing all this code just to lay out those views. And no right. one really likes doing that. Engineers don't love doing that. It's all grunt work. So how can we reduce that grunt work um, and give back time to engineers to do more of the things that they want to be doing? Absolutely. For one, there is a couple of plugins that 
basically connect Figma to Webflow. So what you're designing, you push it to Webflow, you have it. It's not the best. You need to do tweak the CSS and like some interaction here and there. But basically, with that plugin, you are reducing. I don't want to put a number on it, but like let's say at least half of the front-end development work. Like it's there, a front-end developer or designer that knows code needs to tweak it and finalize it. But it's possible now that the designer could do the front-end themselves. Yeah, exactly. And so I think in, in it's a good note on the Figma piece too. In our iOS app, currently in the App Store, we have a Figma import feature, which is pretty robust. Uh, and, and and you know, so for example, if you're using auto layout in Figma, we're going to preserve all those auto layout settings inside of Play and convert them into into you know stacks, which is you know kind of the 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 iOS way of of laying things out from a container standpoint. We're going to be building that same functionality into the Mac OS app. And we're actually doing this right now. So we're like, maybe we'll have a Figma import how we have it in iOS, which is using their API. So you, you copy and paste a Figma URL into play. And now you can view all of your entire component library, import your components. You can import your styles, so color and typography styles, um, or maybe full pages. But we're also thinking about doing a plugin. Uh, maybe additionally, where I think what could be really cool is if you have a Figma file mm. open, maybe you just want to copy uh, a few frames from your Figma file, copy that, and then paste it directly into play. So what mm -hmm. we're investigating now is maybe there's we can do that via a plugin, which I think could be really powerful. Yeah, that would be powerful, especially yeah for teams that are they've been invested a lot in Figma and. So you would, they would not have to choose between you and Figma. They could say, hey, we can work with, the, we can work with Play because I see a lot of huge advantage of, for teams. And I would love to understand like who, which teams are using Play right now um, that they have native application. This is a no-brainer. Like you definitely would benefit from using Play, especially if you have native application to maintain and develop. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's about meeting designers and design teams where they are. Where they are. So, right, it, 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 so many teams, right, just spent the last couple of years. I mean, they didn't spend the last couple of years, but over the last few years, they've maybe converted from Sketch to you know to Figma. Right. So we want to, and I think play is what we're saying is like there's a moment like tools like Figma and Sketch are really powerful in maybe the beginning of your design exploratory phase, right? When you're getting some ideas on how you want things to look, maybe you're not even using auto layout in Figma yet. You're just kind of, you know, you're, you're just, you're just sketching things out. And then there's a moment where it's not just about prototyping, but it's about higher fidelity design. Maybe the core design system is set and now you actually want to think about, okay, how is this app, going to look, feel, and function? How How is the system going to work? And you really start to get into software design, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what, that's what product designers are doing is they're designing software. And software right. is inherently um, sort of system-based, right? So obviously, right. we talk a lot about design systems, but there's the system in which that you're thinking through for, for the software that you're building, whatever app it is that, that you're building. And so I think where play starts to become even more valuable to a team is when you get to that higher fidelity design 
and you want to start thinking about prototyping. And prototyping using, again, real, like haptics and using things like the gyroscope, the accelerometer, using things that are again, the camera. We just rolled out for Mac OS. Uh, I, had a, I had the Snapchat uh, team at our office in New York uh, two weeks ago, and I was showing them the new camera uh, element, right? So now inside of Mac OS, you can, you can use the camera element. You can change lens sizes. You can, it's really, you know, just being able again to tap into the native pieces of the device is, is so cool and so powerful. So I think that's where play right now anyway, can live really, uh, can live inside of the workflow is you're getting into that higher fidelity designing prototyping. Mm -hmm. You're starting to build out what that app looks like. We want to make it easy as possible for people to start. So I think being able to say, hey, take everything you've done in Figma, bring that into play, and now you can continue working in play using all the things that we have in play that aren't available to you in traditional design tools. Also, like, you know, I've been, you know, I haven't had the chance to, like, really use play, but from, from what I'm seeing on the website, the way I see it, for example, if you have, like, a... You know, a professional team, if they're having an ideation workshop or, you know, they want to, like, do a proof of concept of something really cool. For example, right now, you know, we are an innovation in a studio. Then uh, we are flooded by client requests to do AI exploration for their legacy apps or for the new apps that are trying to work. Right. So in these cases that, you know, your team needs to do some like quick proof of concept, you know, why do I even bother? Because at this level, hey, following design system is okay, but proof of concept is the priority here. Right. I can't just like open play and start like, you know, look at the wireframe or sketches that we have and start prototyping really quickly. That just saves me a lot of time. Exactly. Yeah. And so in, as you mentioned, in the iOS app, we have something that we call the play library. And it's, it's just a pre-built set of components, right? That we've designed for people to use for, and we've also done full pages, right? So again, they're in sort of a wireframe type, you know, form, no images. The design system is very simple, but it allows you to, you can design a fully functioning flow of an app using real native things in less in an hour or less. I mean, it would take you a full day or more to do that in in a design tool mm -hmm. and prototype it. And the other thing, and again, like there's a lot of little things that we I don't want to say ignore, but as designers, we have to think about. But because of the way that our software has been created. We just choose to live with them. A very simple example is this. How do we design for, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know, eight or 10 different iPhone sizes, right? Screen sizes, the bezels are different. The safe areas are different, right? So a notch phone is going to is gonna look different. Your designs on a notch phone need to accommodate differently than your designs on a dynamic island phone, right? But how do we deal with this in in, in our current tools, Right. In Figma, you just you create a new frame and you have to pick an iPhone size that you design all of your designs in. And so in Play, there's a really, I think, magical feature where when you're designing in our, our new desktop product, you can actually change the canvas and the page 
to be every single iPhone model. And it changes in real time. So if you have your oh. whole, whole design system in play, all of your cards, your buttons, your component, everything, you can go through and slide every single iPhone and everything changes dynamically based on the size of that device. It, That's it's, so really, cool. it's really a magical thing that it cuts down on days of being able to see like how your, how your designs render on that device. And you don't even need to own the device, right? You're just seeing it on, on your screen. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's so necessary, especially, especially for apps that deal with thousands of users. It's like, I really want to see those details because God forbid if things get out in the production and we haven't tested properly, that, 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 I do not want to bear that risk at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there are these little things like that, little big things like that, you know, how color is rendered, uh, many, 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 many different things. So uh, we're trying to build all those into the product to make, to solve for all of those pain points. I think it's what we've experienced is like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? There's all of these things, right? The mirror apps aren't very good. This resizing of designs is 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 a real big pain, not being able to design with native things is a huge, you know, people spend days in Figma creating these like sort of spaghetti artboards to make a date picker, right? In play, like you just add one drop, add a native date picker, done. It works, right? Um, and if Apple wow. changes that, if Apple changes how that date picker, this is also, I think, you know, a cool thing. If Apple changes the way that the date picker looks, in the next version of iOS, or as they did in the past, maybe they changed the design of the pins on the map, yeah. right? All that changes automatically in play. You don't have to update your designs. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, because we're, again, it's the real, it's, we're tapping directly into iOS. So all of that changes automatically. So here's the thing. I work Walmart. Walmart came to me as an innovation studio. They are AI, food recommendation. We wanted to get out there in the Q, end of Q2, beginning of Q3, with a native iOS app for B2B food delivery providers. Let's do something here. Let's say we don't find a very, um, let's say that because of the you know, short timeline, we got to get out there really fast. We got to do the proof of concept first, validation, testing, research, blah, blah, blah. And then can our design team with what, with maybe with current stack of future stack of play or the near future, future stack of play, can our designers go from concept, prototypes, design, proof of concept on play, and can we build, a, like finalize the front of a front end without the help of a iOS, a iOS developer? Not, not, not the backend stuff, but like, you know, just get the app ready and we hand it over to our backend team to sort of like bring it home. Yeah, so, so the short answer is yes on all of those things, but you'll probably still want an iOS engineer 
to, because they can use the code, the front end code that we're generating to lay out all those screens, right? So everything that you're designing in play <clears throat> right. will be able to be laid out in Xcode, right? Uh, because you're, you're, you're designing the real thing. You still want an iOS engineer. Now, the, the difference is you may not need a whole entire team and you're starting, you know, you're starting running the marathon halfway there, right? So instead of running, right. so, and then that iOS engineer though, I think will still be able to create transitions, integrate with the services team, right? The backend team, you know, populate, you know, data, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the whole idea is we're able to, Number one, you're going to be able to create much higher fidelity proof of concept yes. and prototypes because maybe you want to yes. test four or five ideas, right? Yes, we do. Let's do that very quickly. Test those ideas. Yes. And now you can give that to an engineer and it's not just vectors on a screen. They're the same things that they're going to be coding and we've already given them a head start. One of the cool things I see that you know our team really loved the idea of prototyping while we are in ideation workshop with the client. A couple of my designers love this thing. So we could just like, you know, roll out our, you know, play and just like, as we talk about it, we just like mimic it and just say, hey, this is how it feels like. We can push it. Can we like send the URL to the client so they can look at it on their own Absolutely. device as well? Absolutely. So, so, so they would down, so they would view it through the, through the play app. But the cool thing is you can have different versions, right? So you can have different versions where you can say, hey, you know, client number one, you, you can give them three different links and say, try these three different versions. Tell me what you think. And here's the coolest. Thing. So here's the coolest thing. For, Mac, for the Mac OS product that we're developing right now, it's synced in real time to iOS. It's not a mirror app. So here's what's, it's pretty magical. When you're designing in Mac OS, when you sign into the Play app on your phone using your same username and password, it's synced in real time. So what that means is when you select something on the screen in Mac OS, it immediately appears on the phone. When you edit it in Mac OS, it immediately changes in the phone. So imagine this, you're in a user testing or you're in a client review and the client's, you know, client, your client's playing with and they're like, oh, you know what would be really cool is if that thing looked, if that color was blue instead of red. Or it would be really, can we have this page connect to that page? Right then, you can make that change and they can experience it directly on their device in real time. So, I mean, oh. there, is, there is a real-time synchronicity between all of the devices. That's, that's, and then as we roll it out, you'll also be able to edit directly from the phone as well. That's wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. You're just making a really great case. Are you going to think about Apple OS as well? Is it something on your radar? I, I probably you don't want to touch the web because Figma dominating that category, but the, all the other devices that are like available for grab. Yeah, so Android is something that we, we we started with Apple, right? So we're we're we want to build the best product first, focused on the Apple ecosystem. But absolutely, right? Android Android is critical, especially as we look to you know expand globally, right? Um, a lot of what we're creating for iOS uh, will be able to translate over 
right? For to 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 Android, right? For example, our desktop product will probably be on the web. It won't be a Mac OS app. So there's a lot of things that we're considering for 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 Android. Um, it's certainly something that we we will build uh, it, it, once we I think launch our first full suite for for iOS. Um, right. You know, in order to expand globally, we'll we'll need to consider Android. You know, at some point in the future. That's that's exciting for that, and I cannot. I'm thinking about which for the which project we can use play for. I'm going to definitely introduce it to feature. Feature is the biggest one of the biggest app search app optimization agencies in the world, and they do a lot of these kind of testings for the apps that they are basically um, the clients. So I'm definitely going to introduce it to the CEO of Future because I think it's something that the designers could benefit from. I think it's really cool, cool what, you're, uh, what you guys are doing. And I cannot wait to use it in one of these ideation workshops that we desperately need something very, very swift to use to sort of like ideate. Well, not ideate, realize our ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if, uh, you know, any... The future team or the your team, if happy to do a, do a demo for you guys, you know as well, and and kind of set you up with early. Right now, the Mac OS product, the desktop products, in private beta, but happy to give mm -hmm. you guys access and set you up with that. One hundred percent. We we've recorded a solid fifteen minutes. Then I want to get you get get you um thoughts on two things. Future of Figma. How do you see? I've I've talked to a lot of folks in feel free not to comment because you know you're you're developing sort of a competitor app so you know you can get not not jump into this uh, topic. A lot of folks I've been talking to on the podcast offline are, that they say that they're not very optimistic about the future of Figma, especially with you know by by the recent uh, acquisition and. They could see a potential of of underdogs like play or other competitors to come in and like you know take over their space and their their uh their rank. How do you see the future of Figma? I think first I'll say I think what the team at Figma has built is it's they, fantastic. They've built an incredible product and Absolutely. an exceptional business. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. uh it it's really I think a once in a generation, you know, a, a generate generational company. I mean, it's an incredible business that they've built. You know, look, the, the I'm not probably as <clears throat> in the near term pessimistic about the Adobe deal. I know when they announced it, you know, users were and then you know what happened in three or four days? Like everyone just went back to work and kept using Figma. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like these things. Look, I mean, there the the Adobe deal it hasn't gone through yet, right? Um, so assuming that it does go through, I think all the things that, you know, that Dylan and, and the team has said, like there are, you know, Adobe's a big company and there are probably in really interesting ways that that Adobe could help Figma and Figma can help Adobe. And I think it will be exciting to see how those things, you know, come to light. Um, we're in a really interesting so, you know, ultimately it's about, you know, it's about the people 
at the helm of whatever business and like how, how excited are they to continue building, you know, together. And I think the team, you know, the team at Figma has built an incredible product. And as long as they keep, um, keep delivering on that vision, I think that they're going to have a really promising future. You know, I think, um, we're all in this very interesting space now where the role of AI is really, I mean, it's here to stay certainly. Yes. And I think it's the question of like, what, how will software be impacted? The answer will, I mean, it will be impacted, but how will it? And specifically design software, certain things may be more, I don't know, AI driven while other things may be more AI assisted. And I think we're going to see how that plays out in the next couple of years. Uh, it's, it's moving pretty, pretty quickly. It's moving Absolutely. quickly, and it, it is incredible. The technology is 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 remarkable. It's almost the it's, journey is crazy. It is. It's almost. It's. It's. Um. It, it is. It's almost scary how remarkable the the technology is, right? And so I think it's. Um. There's a lot of exciting opportunities for 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 people to build for for people to build companies and build take different approaches to software. I think. Um. You know. Uh. The, what we're using today is not going to, sh shouldn't look the same in terms of what it will be three years from now and certainly not 10 years from now. You know, so often we get focused and we get tunnel vision. And I think it's our job of people who are building software, building businesses. It's like, well, what does this look like in five years? What does this look like in 10 years? And how do we build towards that? 100%. Anything up your sleeves in terms of, AI application to integrate in play? Anything to get to disclose or are you still exploring? Yeah, we're still exploring. I think it's, again, in many ways right now, we have so much to do with the desktop yes. product. Right. We talk about it often. We are thinking about ideas. We're also just hyper-focused on delivering mm -hmm. this, this desktop product. So nothing that we're ready to disclose. But I think... It's really for design tools, for professional design tools, and especially for us, like, you know, where we're generating code. Well, okay, well, what's the role of that, right? Because right mm. now we've, we've, we've created, we've, we've created a system that is taking what you design and play, and we're dynamically generating Swift UI code. So is there a role for AI there? And how does that get better? Meaning, how does the code get even better? Right now, for example, when we add a new element into play, we then mm -hmm. need to think about how do we accommodate that in the code that's being created. I don't know. Maybe there. Maybe we don't need to think about that. Maybe that's something that we can write, write a program to think about that for us, right? Or there's so many different ways that 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 I think AI will be um, could either be very beneficial to software or cause it to get really bloated just because it's yes. a buzzword. Yeah, I agree, agree, agree. We see a lot of real use cases of chat, GBT, mid-journey. I see that a lot of brands are like, they fill up their mood board with mid-journey stuff, rightfully so. Like, I see my Twitter feed is packed with all this like exploration. It's early on. I see like a lot to explore and a lot to make and break and see what could stick, what could not stick. Um, really, Dan, uh, I'm really happy that we had this conversation. Um, 
really excited about what you're building at play. I'm going to use it personally for some of this exploration project that you're going to have a Bonanza design. Any last words for the audience? No, just thank you so much for having me on. It was, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, people can go to uh, our website, createwithplay.com. You can install the iOS and the iPad app, uh, and we'll be launching our macOS product publicly uh, in the next uh, you know, few months. So keep an eye out for that. You heard Dan. I hope to all the designers who've listened to this, you get to use Play. I certainly do. And share with Dan and me how you're using it because I'm curious. Until the next episode.